Hey, it's Greg Brown. Grab your logbook, because it's time for another cockpit adventure from the flying carpet. I'm an aviation author, adventure columnist, photographer, former National Flight Instructor of the Year, and Barnes & Noble Arizona Author of the Month. The Flying Carpet is a four-place single-engine light airplane. In it, my wife Jean and I have long traveled the North American continent, searching behind clouds for the real America, and experiencing aerial adventures like today's all along the way. Learn more at my website, gregbrownflyingcarpet.com, where you can also see photos from most episodes. And I'd appreciate your feedback in my Flying Carpet Podcast Facebook group. Those who savor old cars, grass strips, and the aroma of rotisserie chicken will particularly appreciate this episode. Okay, everyone, time to hop aboard my flying carpet, buckle your seatbelts, and prepare for takeoff on today's adventure. Snipe Hunt. A special welcome to Ann and Dave Fowler, who participated in today's adventure. Clear prop. Super Snipe? Old Doc had to be kidding. Sure, some birds carry the name Snipe, but like most former Boy Scouts, I remembered only the pain of being duped into a ritual Snipe hunt on my first troop campout. When Jean and I first married, her grandparents, Shorty and Lulu, lived in the little town of Juneau, Wisconsin, up in dairy country northwest of Milwaukee. We flew from Indiana in the Flying Club Cessna 172 to visit them as often as our newlyweds budget would allow. Usually our mission was simply to hang out with Granny and Gramps, but once a year after landing at Juno's Dodge County Airport, we'd bundle into Gramps' car for a multi-generational road trip to the Oshkosh Fly-In, as it was then known. We soon discovered another sort of adventure, however. Thanks to Gramps and Granny's next-door neighbors, Doc and Marge. Doc was a large animal veterinarian who, in the course of treating cows and horses around the county, had liberated quite a cache of collectible cars over the years from dusty corners of his clients' barns and sheds. Among them were a sporty 1939 Ford Business Coupe, a pair of fin-tailed 1955 Plymouths, and a bulbous 51 Pontiac 8. Although few were rare, all were roadworthy low-mileage autos and notably rust-free given Wisconsin's brutal winters. Doc's personal favorite was a rare and good-enough-to-eat 1941 Lincoln Zephyr convertible. Although generous in offering test drives of his other cars, he reserved the Zephyr's keys for himself. He'd also once mentioned something called a super snipe, but I figured he was pulling my leg. After all, Snipe hunt is a slang equivalent to wild goose chase, and Doc was a master of straight-faced ribbing. I had long been obsessed with old cars, ever since conducting unprintable adventures in some owned by friends and myself during high school. 
Anyway, it turned out that every year Doc took all his roadworthy cars on a 100-mile pilgrimage from Juneau to the annual Chicken Roast and Old Cars Festival in the even smaller town of Iola, Wisconsin, and that those people lucky enough to be Doc's friends got to drive in the procession. I apparently passed the test because, to my delight, Doc soon invited me to participate. Why waste a seat, he chided dryly. Bring your friends. The more the merrier. Eagerly, Gene and I loaded our buddies, Al, Dave, and Ann, into the Flying Club Cessna 210 and soared over Indiana cornfields, Chicago suburbs, and Wisconsin meadows to Little Dodge County Airport. For the drive, Doc assigned me his mint metallic Pontiac 8. Although somewhat plain at first glance, the old auto was vast and chromy inside and out. At first I was disappointed in my assignment, but while cruising Wisconsin's bucolic countryside with my wife and friends, we all came to appreciate the old car's pillowy, boat-like ride, its slushy two-speed automatic transmission, the factory curb feelers, and a nifty steering wheel prism for viewing stoplights blocked by the car's external sun visor. And who could resist translucent amber chief Pontiac up front on the hood, where he illuminated with our headlights? Northwestward we rumbled behind Doc's sparkling ebony zephyr, past verdant fields, ruby barns, and mottled stone silos. The drive was oh so lazy until we found ourselves taunted and then beckoned from miles away by the aroma of slow-roasting chicken. Sure enough, we arrived to grills and rotisseries over what seemed like hundreds of feet of charcoal pits lining the middle of the car show. Apparently, this culinary custom began when show promoters invited attendees to bring an old car and get a free half-chicken lunch. The result was a delicious nexus of antique cars, hot rods, and savory eating. We gorged our senses on autos and chicken, then meandered back to Juno and the Pontiac for a cold beer nightcap and Granny's hot apple pie. I couldn't imagine the following year's Iola run being better. But it was. Upon landing the Club 172 at Juno that long ago weekend, Gene and I learned that not only was Doc's Humber Super Snipe real, but he owned three of them two parts cars and an all original 1963 model that we were to drive to Iola. My first encounter with the Humber was less than awe inspiring. While somewhat similar in appearance to the contemporary 63 Mercedes-Benz 190D I rumbled around in at the time, it seemed some strange amalgam of Jaguar on the inside and Rambler on the outside. True, the British luxury mark featured plush leather seats and hand-polished burled wood trim, including fold-out rear passenger picnic tables. But oddly, all this opulence was packaged in a mildly befinned approximation of a 1960 Rambler 6 four-door sedan, not the sort of dashing vehicle I pictured myself driving. When our little caravan hit the road, however, I quickly discovered that the car handled nicely. More importantly, the Mark's three on the column manual transmission was mated to a powerful Roots straight-six engine 
making the Humber's performance a good deal more exciting than my diesel Mercedes. Traveling in luxury was memorable, but the super snipe proved to be a wolf in sheep's clothing as I roared past slower traffic on scenic Wisconsin byways. As the saying goes, the Humber wasn't pretty, but it had great personality. By the time we reached Iola, I had become a super snipe fan. We missed the next year's show due to the arrival of a new baby. And the year after that, we were limited to same-day travel, so Jean and I sought a faster way to get there. Just east of Iola on my Green Bay sectional chart, I noted a grass strip called Central County Airport. Upon phoning, I learned that not only was the remote strip open to the public, but to our good fortune, a weekend fly-in coincided with the car show and included shuttle service between the two events. We'd fly up this year, Gene and I agreed. Then a complication arose. We couldn't find a babysitter. Granny was eager to spend time with the baby, so I dropped him and Gene at Dodge County Airport in the Flying Club 182 and, joined by my friends Al and Ron, proceeded to soar over central Wisconsin to rendezvous with Doc's caravan at Iola. There's magic to grass strips like Central County Airport, though planning and precautions are always required. One should always phone ahead to learn runway conditions. You'll receive useful advice like, land at the east end of the runway where the grass is shorter, or keep to the left on runway 28 because the right side is soft. You should also learn to judge wind direction in case there's no wind sock. Smokes, flags, or ripples on a nearby pond can be helpful. Homespun hangar flying wisdom says cattle graze with their tails to the wind, but my dairy farmer friends say that's not predictably true, so that one you can rule out. Anyway, skim low over the runway before landing to identify obstructions, wet spots, and wildlife, and then enjoy the softest touchdown you've ever made. Best of all, time stands still at grass strips, and Central County proved no exception. Sharing the landing pattern with us was an antique Stinson Model T trimotor airliner offering sightseeing rides. Grass strips are all about warm handshakes, old airplanes, and picnic lunches, I was reminded upon landing. Next to us parked airplanes with tents pitched beneath their wings. The Iola Old Car Show proved bigger and better than ever that year. But with the passage of time, I've realized that jaunting there in Doc's Super Snipe was the best of the best. Having been initiated to Humbers, I've looked for them at car gatherings over the years, but without success. Few Americans have ever heard of a super snipe, and to this day, I've never seen another one. Doc's gone now, but he got the last laugh, sending me off on a lifelong snipe hunt. I hope you've enjoyed wandering Wisconsin with Gene and me by Airplane and Antique Auto. Thanks for riding along on today's flying carpet adventure. Please help me continue this podcast by sharing your favorite flying carpet episodes on social media, posting reviews on your favorite podcast directories, and donating via my Greg Brown Flying Carpet website. Thanks in advance for your support. You can find photos from most episodes at my website, gregbrownflyingcarpet.com
If you enjoyed today's episode, please check out my book of aviation adventure stories, Flying Carpet, The Soul of an Airplane, for which I was named Barnes & Noble Arizona Author of the Month. Learn about that and my other aviation books at gregbrownflyingcarpet.com. Also at gregbrownflyingcarpet.com, you'll find my views from the flying carpet aerial photography, available in fine art metal prints and pilot achievement plaques. Oh, and I'd appreciate hearing your feedback in my Flying Carpet Podcast Facebook group. Follow my social media sites, most of which can be found by searching Greg Brown Flying Carpet. And consider joining my student pilot pep talk group on Facebook. Thanks again for joining me on today's Flying Carpet Cockpit Adventure. Music by Hannes Brown. See you next time.